Galatians 4, verses 12 through 20. It says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ himself. Where, then, is your blessing of me now? I can testify that, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. So um, as, a, as a family yesterday, we watched um, the old classic film. Um, I'm going to just try and get it on screen. Maybe you guys could do the slides for me. Uh, oh, <laughs> it's working. I'll do it. Here we go. Parent Trap. There we go. Who's seen that film? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a good family film. The, the basic plot, I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't seen it, um, but uh, there's these identical twin girls who um, are brought up separately, one by their mother and one by their father after they divorced when they were babies. One's brought up in London, one in California. And by chance, they meet each other when they're 11 years old at this camp. And they, when they discover their twin sisters, uh, they decide to swap places so the one who was living in London moves to California to live with her dad and pretend she's her sister. And the one who was living, raised in California moves to London to, to live with her mum. And uh, they want to get to know their parents. And yeah, the, the, the film goes from there. And in one sense, the girls are just like each other. They look exactly like each other, identical twins. But in another sense, they have to learn to live as the other twin. Uh, and they've been raised in different parts of the world, so their lives look quite different. And it takes time, and it takes practice, and it's quite hard work, actually, to impersonate the, the other twin. Now, that's, uh, watch the film if you haven't seen it. It's fun. Um, as Hallie rips into a Bible there. <laughs> um, it's, it's a silly illustration, but it captures something of the spiritual les lesson in Galatians for us today. Look, look down at verse 19 of what Caitlin just read. Verse 19, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Sorry, sweetheart, I shouldn't have picked on you then. Oh, sorry. Um, I take responsibility for that. Verse 19, the whole point and the purpose and the work of the Christian life is that Christ is formed in you. Christ is is formed in us. In one sense, when you become a Christian, uh, you, 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 you are, um, you're just like him in Christ, and everything that you have in him is yours from day one, and yet in another sense, it's the project of the whole Christian life for the fullness of that to be realized and experienced, to learn to live like Jesus in every way, all of the time, for Christ to be formed in you. And the reason that's a big deal in Galatians is because Paul is writing to the Christians, as, as if you've been around before Easter, you, you'll remember, to defend the freedom that Christians have in Christ. Uh, and particularly from any uh, 
particular sense of having to do something special or anything, any stuff to impress God or to get in with God and, and be okay with God. But the danger that comes along with that is not only how we relate to God, but how we relate to one another and the feeling that we've got to do some special stuff to impress one another or to get into one, with, with one another. And Paul's used lots of theological arguments over previous weeks to, to explain why that is not the case and trying to keep the Galatians from this, uh, from this error. But now it gets super personal in the passage we read today. Paul is concerned for them like a brother or a sister. Actually, like a mum for her own dear children. And just like a parent wants the best for their children as they grow up, they don't want them to go off the rails. They want them to live in the way that they've taught them and the way that they've sought to invest in them. So spiritually speaking, Paul wants the Galatian Christians to stay on the right track like a mother cares for her children. He wants to stay on the path of growing up in Christ and not be sidetracked by these other bad influences. Listen, as we go on in the Christian life, we can all be allured uh, to the side by all kinds of subtle ways away from pure and simple faith in Christ. And so this is a necessary reminder for us. It's, you know, like when, if you go bowling and you put those bumpers up on the side of the ball, it keeps the ball going down towards where you're heading. So th- these are bumpers for us to keep us, keep us heading in the right direction towards the goal. So here, here's the goal of the Christian life, and this is really the main point of, of this passage in the sermon today, the goal of Christ being formed in you. This is the purpose this is, if you like, the completion of the Christian life. Those of you who are into gaming know that the whole experience of playing a game is working towards completion of it. Whether it's defeating the enemy or going up through the levels or solving the puzzle or winning the championship, there's, there's this completion that you're working towards. And the game only makes sense because of the aim to which you're working towards, that completion. The Christian life's like that. There's an end goal to which we're working. And, and the whole life only makes sense in light of, of that goal towards the end. And that is what it is there in verse 19. The goal is that Christ is formed in you. And so the whole journey of the Christian life up to that goal is being formed in Christ. Increasingly that being the reality of our lives. You know, we often talk about, um, we use this little phrase to talk about when someone becomes a Christian. We talk about accepting Jesus into your heart, don't we? But this, being formed in Christ, is having Jesus in your mind and and in your thought life. It's Jesus in your mouth through what you say and the tone of voice that you use. It's Jesus in your eyes with what you look at, with your eyes. It's Jesus in your hands with what you do with your hands and in your feet and where they carry you. This is Jesus in every single part of your life and king of every single part of your life. It's the nature and the character of Christ, who he is becoming yours and becoming you. So the contours of your character are shaped by his image and and are formed in his likeness so that you love what he loves and you hate what he hates and you you do what he does and, and you think like he thinks and you feel like he feels. This is Christ being formed in us. You see, the word Christian means Christ follower. But there's a fuller sense in that. It actually, it's not just following Christ, but it's a sense in which we belong to Christ and, and we're taken over by him. So you could say to be a Christian is to be a mini Christ. For him, so to take hold of your heart and your life that you become like him. 
Now, now, do you not want that? Do you not long for that of your Christian? Do you not want that to be the, the governing reality of your Christ, if, if, uh, of your life? If Christ was more fully formed in me, how good would that be? See, there is an alternative on offering a spiritual life, and that's that we're formed into the likeness, not of Christ, but of other people, particularly influential leaders and, and teachers. That's if you look down at verse 17, that's what's going on here in Galatians. These, these other teachers have come in and they're zealous to win over the Galatian Christians. Another way of saying it is they've come in and they've caught you eagerly. They, it's like a guy pursuing a girl, flirting and flattering and saying nice things. And they're coming like that, but Paul says it's all for no good. Their end goal, Galatians, is not that you will be more zealous for Christ, but you'll be more zealous for them that you'll pursue them, that you'll become more like them rather than more like Christ, that you'll adore and respect them more so all of their influence and all of their power and their own name can grow. You could say they make much of you, so you will make much of them. It's all self-interested in the end. You see, it's worth us asking this question of any ministry, of any leader, of any church, including this one and the leaders in this church, What's their end goal? What, what's the culmination or the completion of their ministry? Where is it all heading? What, at the end of the day, is it all about? Does it smell? Does it, does it look like? Does it taste like Jesus? Or is it actually just a cult of personality? You see, the temptation is real. It is possible, it's even likely, that teachers and leaders in the church can be or can become self-interested and self-glorifying. It's an occupational hazard. It's tempting for me to want you to like me, to be impressed by me, to be, um, uh, to be loyal to me, to think that I'm doing a good job, and so subtly and slowly to make my preaching and, and the ministry of the church and everything that goes on here about me and not about Christ. To win you over to zeal for me and not for Christ. That would be a tragic thing. See, part of the problem is we love our celebrities, don't we, in the church? We've got our worship leaders or our Bible teachers or our our anointed leaders or our healers or our authors or our visionary leaders or whatever it is. We've all got them and and we honor them. We put them up on a pedestal and we think they're great and, and we're so impressed by them. And somehow we mistake zeal for them as zeal for Christ. And where does that land us? It lands us always, always in deep trouble. Because it's only Jesus and Jesus alone that can live up to that kind of weight and deliver on it. Listen, the warning signs are there when a leader who is only interested in upfront ministry and never interested in anything that is behind the scenes and, and unseen service. The warning signs are when a leader wants their name on everything and wants the credit for everything. When someone loves a title, or they're different in public settings to private settings, or they have got such a strong personality that everyone has to all the time please them on every single little thing, no matter how minor or insignificant, they've got to line up with them and agree with them and please them. Or when a leader demands unthinking loyalty from people at all costs. You can't ask any questions or make any critiques. The end point or the completion of a ministry like that, a people formed in the likeness of a leader or a group of leaders or a personality, less than in the likeness of Christ.
Now, we need to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It is inevitable. It is, in fact, necessary as a part of leadership to influence others and to shape culture. In a moment, we're going to see the vital importance of that in, in a Christ-centered ministry. Good leaders do influence others. To some extent, people do become like their leaders. And that's okay, but the question is, what is the desire? What is the aim? What is the purpose of a ministry or a church or whatever it is? What is it that seems to motivate and drive them? What are they most burdened and concerned by? What is the beating heart of the ministry? Listen, if it is Christ, and if it is people being formed in Christ, then those leaders will try to minimize their personal influence. They'll try to share power. They won't try and build loyalty to themselves and zeal for themselves. They will serve in unseen and difficult ways. They'll elevate others who are very different to them. They'll be generous. They'll probably be more chilled out most of the time. Paul wants the Galatians to be zealous. Verse 18, he says, it's good to be zealous, but with a good purpose and an outcome in aim. To be zealous, to be more like Christ. And to be zealous for that consistently, not only when he's there and he can see, and, but when he's gone, they, they're, they're into other things, and, and they're just kind of trying to impress him when he's around. No, to be zealous for Christ through all of life. For Christ to be formed in you. For him to be that full, that defining reality of every moment of your life. Now, this is the goal of the Christian life, Christ formed in you. And so this is the work that we have in the church of Christ being formed in each other. What does this look like in practice for us? Well, it's not like, you know, when you've got like a phone upgrade for the operating system or something, and what you do is you plug your phone in, you leave it overnight, and you wake up in the morning and it's you're good to go, it's done. Or everything's there, everything's upgraded, and you just slept on the job, and it's done. It's great. No, this, this is different. This is a, a process that happens over a long time. It actually happens over a whole lifetime. You see, coming to put your faith in Jesus is just the start of something new. In one sense, you've got it all already then. Of course you have in, in the gospel. You've got forgiveness. You've got acceptance by God. You've got every spiritual blessing. You've got eternal life to the full. There's nothing more to be done to save you. You've got it all. But in another sense, it is just the beginning. It's just the start of this journey of the Christian life where you have to get to grips with all that you've got in him and let that shape and impact your life. Over time, you figure out what it looks like to be owned by Christ, to be a follower of Christ, to become like him. If you're early on in the Christian life, or maybe you're somebody who's kind of checking out the Christian life and you're interested in it, then it's important for you to hear this and to know this. It is amazing, an amazing gift of new life, freely given. It's absolutely amazing. But it's a gift that changes everything for you. It changes everything in life. You don't just go on living merrily as you did before, as if Christ isn't real and as if he's not the Lord of everything and he's not the king of your life. It's the start of a whole life transformation around Christ and his way. Now, that key verse, verse 19, Paul describes it like this. He says it's like being in labor pains until Christ is formed in us. And it's difficult to think of a more visceral imagery, isn't it, than that of labor pains. He says the whole Christian life is one long labor of Christ being 
formed in us, of us being shaped into Christ. The aim of every moment and every situation is that Christ is formed in his people, us being morphed into his likeness, transformed so that we are like him. But you see in verse 19 who he explains experiences the labor pains. Christ is being formed in the Galatians, and who has the labor pains? It's Paul, isn't it? It's his experience as a minister of the gospel until Christ is formed in them that he experiences these these labor-type pains. You see, this, this process, your process of Christ being formed in you, my process of Christ being formed in me, it happens in the context of Christian community in the church. And we have a significant role in Christ being formed in each other. Such that that Paul can say he labors like a mother labors for a child for Christ to be formed in them. It's only through close, close relationship to other Christians, to their ministry to us, their example to us, that we are influenced, that we are shaped, that we are formed into being like Christ. And so this is the shape of ministry for us in the church. This is how Christ is formed in people. It's definitely an example to those of us who are, who are spiritual leaders in the church in some way. But listen, it's a model for all of us in how we relate to a minister to one another. In this church, we've always had a very high value. We want to continue to do so of, of this, this idea of every member ministry. And that is that there aren't some professional Christians who, who kind of do this work uh, and this ministry and then others who just come and receive and benefit from these professionals doing the work of ministry. Know that in the church, God calls all of us together to work and to do ministry together and to, to minister to one another, to influence one another according to our gifting and our opportunity. And so when we're all doing that together, we grow into maturity in the church. It's in Ephesians 14, if you want to check it out. And so if that's the case, and, and we're a church of all ministering to one another, then this is going to shape how we do that together. It's a model for us to learn from and put into practice as we seek to commit ourselves to this lifelong work of Christ being formed in each other. Now what we see revealed in these verses is basically a certain attitude and a certain process. The, the, the attitude that is needed for the work of forming Christ in each other, on one hand, it's a willingness to suffer in love, and in the other, it's a desire to honor and bless. So, so if you look, you see Paul, his ministry to and amongst the, the Galatians was costly for him. Verse 13, he, he came to them, he says, uh, with, actually because of, a serious illness, possibly malaria. And so he comes in much weakness and suffering, and so as he comes to them with this illness... And yet he's still committed to sharing the good news of Christ with them, even in great suffering. You see, labor pains are hard. And so Paul goes through these labor pains and his suffering. It's not easy. It's not an easy life to be a minister of the gospel. But Paul was willing to suffer so that his experience of death may be an experience of life for them. And so if we're going to learn from Paul's example, it begs the question... Are you willing to suffer in love so that Christ might be formed in others? Are you willing to suffer in love so that Christ might be formed in others? Listen, it's right for us to expect our leaders in the church to suffer for the cause of the gospel. If it seems like they're not really suffering for it, then we ought to be careful in relation to those leaders. The second aspect of the attitude, that's Paul's suffering in love, but... 
But for the Galatians, it wasn't easy either. Paul describes it as a trial for them in verse 14. You see, this guy comes, and he's weak, and he's got an illness, and, and he's got a bit of a foolish message. And so it could have been easy for them to just say, no thanks, Paul, and totally reject him and, and discount him as not very impressive. His illness was a nuisance to them. They could have treated him with contempt or scorn or, or just batted him away for his weakness. But no, they welcomed him as if he was an angel of God, as if he was Christ himself, verse 14. They honor and bless him. They care about him so much. He says, if you could have, you'd have torn your eyes out and given them to me if it would have helped. Presumably, his illness affected his eyesight in some way. See, this is an attitude of desiring to bless and desiring to honor those who labor and suffer so that Christ may be formed in us. If we're together given to minister to one another so we may be formed into the maturity of Christ, then we each a gift to one another. And so it's this idea that we honor and bless one another for that. We value each other as a gift. How might this shape your attitude to your gospel family leaders who sacrifice so much to try and see you grow in the likeness of Christ? How might it shape your attitude to others in your cell group who are committed to you and, and care for you and pray for you and love you and want to serve you and help you grow up in Christ? How does it shape how you might love and honor and bless those who lead the teams in our church who ultimately are just trying to contribute to the cause of forming people into Christ-likeness? How will you honor and love and bless those who lead in those ways so sacrificially? This is the attitude that we see in this text around being formed in the likeness of Christ and us doing that together. And, and finally, the process. Look at verse 12. Here's, here's a really key verse for us. Let me read it to you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. Become like me, for I became like you. See, Paul became like them, and then he pleads with them, so become like me. It started with Paul becoming like the Galatians. Now, now what, what does he mean by this? Well, he writes elsewhere in, in, in um, 1 Corinthians about a similar idea. And I just want to read these few verses to you. They're on, the, they're on the screen if you want to follow along. 1 Corinthians 9. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Although I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Here's the key, key little phrase. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means... I might save some. See, Paul's ministry, Paul's life, looked like a servant-hearted willingness to adapt as far as he possibly could to reach people with the good news of Christ. He was willing to give up his personal preferences. He was willing to make a whole load of lifestyle decisions about the culture and the customs that he, had, he, he adopted to connect with people around him so he could share Christ with them. He became like the Galatians in where he chose to live, in how he spent his time, in who he hung out with, in what he ate, in how he talked, in what interests he had, probably in what clothes he wore. 
He wasn't in any way being fake or not being authentic to himself, but he lived with and amongst and like them in as far as he could without being sinful in any way so he could connect with them, so he could relate to them, and so he could share Christ with them. Now, that was not easy for Paul. It felt like experiencing labor pains. He lived a daily death to self so that others could experience the gift of life. And you know what? Person on mission after person on mission through history has followed in these footsteps. They have moved towards people out of love and out of a desire for them to experience and know Christ. So it's worth us asking ourselves, what does it look like for us? What does it look like for me to uh, become like those around me? What does it look like me to become like them so I can share Christ with them? How can, how can we cross cultural and social boundaries and barriers to get to know people so we can share Christ with them? How does this kind of mission mindset shape how I think about how, where I live and how I spend my time? and who I hang out with, and what I eat, and who I invite into my home, and how I talk, and what interests I develop, and possibly even how I dress. Where can you make lifestyle moves, lifestyle decisions that are intentional and that are purposeful, that draw you closer to those that you work with, those in your neighborhood who you live amongst, those in some club or social group that you belong to or you're connected to, so that you can build bridges with people and connect with them so you can share Christ with them? Where can you stop doubling down on your own cultural preferences and likes and, and things that just are more easy and comfortable for you? Where can we hold those things more loosely out of love for others? You see, Paul became like them. What's the aim? What's the second half of that process? So that they might become like him. Now, clearly, given what we've just seen, the goal isn't for them just to become exactly like Paul in the way he dressed and the way he looks and the way he talks and, and all the rest, as if it's just a cult of personality around him. It's not about externals and, and stuff like that. No, his ministry isn't about making much of him, but he wants the Galatian Christians to become more like him as he is like Christ. Or as he writes to a church in Corinth, follow me as I follow Christ. And, and given all that's going on in Galatians, his particular desire is that they have this freedom from this law and this rule-keeping that he's got, this freedom in Christ. He wants them to be free from that at this time. You see, in becoming like them, Paul has given them an example that they can follow and they can relate to uh, in, in their context, in their time, of what it looks like to follow Christ. They can see someone who's working out in practice what a life formed in and by and through Christ looks like. And so, too, we can be that for each other and for people around us. We can be a living and a breathing example of what it looks like to be Christ-formed in all of life in Birmingham in 2022. We can, we can show to one another and help one another what it looks like to have marriages that are shaped by Christ. 
We can show and learn from one another what it looks like to raise children in the faith, how to navigate and flourish singleness in a way that is faithful to Christ in all things. We, we can show and help one another how we relate to our family that are unbelieving and, and faithfully witness and persevere in that to them. Uh, we can show one another how, how to conduct yourself at work as, as a Christian there. We can, we can demonstrate to one another what it looks like to be formed by Christ and how we play sport or, or, or how we play games or whatever else it is. We can, we can demonstrate to one another what it looks like to be formed in Christ in a way that we treat alcohol. How we live in, in a local neighborhood. How we use our home. How we spend our money. How we spend our time. How we approach our hobbies. How we build friendships. All of these different ways that we can help one another and, and evidence and, and demonstrate to one another what it looks like to be formed in Christ. Christ is formed in us as we live alongside one another, as we are zealous for him in all of life, and as we help and as we influence one another to work out all of life under his kingship. Listen, Paul didn't make up this, this, this kind of life and this ministry to himself. He didn't come up with this idea. He was copying Jesus. If you think about it, Jesus is the one who ultimately becomes like us so that we can become like him, isn't he? he? He's the one who, with the attitude and the mindset of suffering in love, stooped down from the glory uh, and the life of heaven and became a human and, and faced weakness and suffering and was subject to temptation and, and struggled with everything in life as we do, even to the point of putting himself under the curse of sin on the cross for us. And he became like us in that so that we could become like him. And that in the end, we might become fully like him. That we might be like God in character and nature. That we might be free from compromise and evil. That we might be perfectly loving and perfectly wise in every situation. That we may always know what is good and always do it. And so that we may be full ourselves of eternal life. Life in all its fullness and its goodness. See, this is the good news of Christ. This is the freedom that we have in Christ together. This is who he is and what he's done and what we have in him. And let's not steal that away from one another. Let's not rip each other off by taking him out of the center and putting anyone else there. Let's not rip each other off by putting him out of the center and trying to put ourselves there. Let's together be full of zeal for Christ. And so let's together be a church where Christ is little by little, day by day, being formed in us, individually and together, being formed in Christ for his glory and for our good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the King of glory. You are the Lord of all. You who came down from heaven to earth to share our experience and and become just like us and go even further than that to even descend to hell on the cross for us. And you did that so you could take us back with you and we could become just like you, Lord. As you're forming us into your likeness, help us to help one another. Help us to have zeal for you alone and not zeal for any person or any people. Help us in our hearts to put you 
as Lord. And then help us in our lives to live with that reality. Lord, I pray that in this church we would not be anything like a cult of personality, anything like any leader or leaders who make it all about them. Would it all be about you, Jesus? And so would we be formed into your likeness? As, as a people from many different backgrounds and many different cultures and many different experiences of life, many different stages of life, Lord, would we prize that so dearly as together we grow in, in our unity in you and, and, and into the likeness of you? Would that even draw us closer together? Lord, help us to help one another. And by your spirit be at work in us, we pray. That Christ, you may be formed in us and glorified in our lives. We pray. Amen.